Hello listeners, I am Steve Doby, one of your hosts, and I want to welcome you to the first episode of Over the Line, a Rob's Reliability Project podcast. In today's episode, Blair and I welcome Cody Dinell, a deployment specialist with Tech Resources Race 21 team. Before we begin the episode, make sure you follow us on LinkedIn at Rob's Reliability Project. We also have a couple things coming down the line. We will be continuing Rob's blog, so you can expect that content to hit your inbox as well as a rebrand, as Rob has relinquished control to Blair and I, and it doesn't quite make sense for us to continue calling it Rob's Reliability Project. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and here's your episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Rob's Reliability Project with your hosts, uh, Steve and Blair. Today, we've got a special guest from Tech Resources, uh, Cody Dinell. Uh, Cody, how's it going today? Uh, it's going good, Steve. Thanks, man. Uh, excited to to join the show and you know talk a little bit about um, some some of the work we're doing uh, in our company and you know just some of my general opinions on on where I think some of this will go. That's great. So tell me, uh, Cody, what what is your job at the company? What is uh, what is your specialty and what are you trying to do? Yeah, for sure. I'll give you my job title, but if you Google it, it might be tricky to find what it is. But uh, deployment specialist is my title. And uh, ultimately, some might have heard already or might have been spoken about on this podcast before. But as tech's going through uh, a digital transformation, um, you know, driven through innovation and a lot of what we want to accomplish uh, through Race 21, um, we need people like myself to help do that, to make it happen on site. So uh, my role as a deployment specialist specific for value delivery and maintenance is to take a lot of the ideas, work with operations and make them a reality. So, you know, when you think maintenance, it, it's everything where we have dedicated deployment specialists focused on asset health, some uh, more so on some inventory optimization aspects. And for me, it's on safety and digital work management. So a whole suite of opportunities there. So, Cody, I got to ask you, and this is this is Blair here, and Steve. Thanks for having me on your section of this <laughs> podcast that I can interrupt. Uh, I'm curious, Cody. So, you know, when I looked at that, and, and when you first told me off air here what your your job was, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people, first of all, trying to figure out what a deployment specialist is. But the way you describe it, you know, you, you're looking at um, the tech landscape, you're looking at the business case, you're looking at everything of of how technology and people can improve things. That's awesome. How did you get that job? Like, what, what, what's your what's your background? Like, where do you get a, a graduate degree in a deployment uh, specialist? <laughs> yeah, and this will be a nice convoluted. How did he end up there? And it might not get a ton of clarity, but I'll walk through it. Is um, I actually started computer technology. I uh, did a couple of years there, you know, right, uh, yep. getting into the code, did some Java. And, uh, you know, after a couple of years of that, you make a hard choice of, you know, am I going to live staring at a screen, not talking to a lot of folks, uh, yep. being a code monkey, or am I going to get out there? So <laughs> I did switch over and got into international uh, business, actually. There um, you go. And, so uh, there's that there's that tipping point that got you to the, right. the business analyst side. Gotcha. That's right. So then I got a piece there. And after that, um, you know, uh, I grew up in Fernie, BC, uh, you know, where a lot of the tech coal mines are. My uh, It's in my blood. My dad was a coal miner all a number of years. So just came back to Fernie. And uh, after I was done a number of years of school, I, the usual question of the what's next and just the opportunity was there at tech. We were rolling out uh, Microsoft Dynamics AX, our ERP at the time and yep. I joined on to help do that and from there I spent about five or six years with the IT group now TDS um, doing a number of different functions such as you know a more administrative systems analyst and then got into the business analyst function and designing software and tools for maintenance and materials um, realized you know I really need to understand how the operations work so got a job at the planning and scheduling team which sounds like an interesting pivot because usually oh my gosh was <laughs> that is not a straight line you are not connected. <laughs> 
<laughs> dots yeah. together with a straight line there. Yeah. So I will say I have had a very unique opportunity. You know, I, I've been blessed with some really strong mentors and sponsors that, that were able to, to get me that chance where because I designed, you know, specifically some of our scheduling tools, some of the maintenance practices, you really, as you know, to design an effective software, you got to know the customer, you got to know the processes. So I learned a lot by doing that. And, uh, you know, an opportunity just as a scheduler uh, for mobile maintenance came up at our Line Creek operations, uh, got a job doing that, and then just worked through as a planner, had a shot as an intern planning lead, and uh, just got a whole lot of experience wow. in the span of about yeah. three years. And uh, really, fantastic. really privileged there. And then it was just the, here's race 21, which got me really excited and uh, took the jump over and, and really having fun since. That's fantastic, Cody. It sounds like you've you've really dove in and, uh, you know, in case the listeners don't know, I also work for tech resources and, and work with Cody. So, um, it's been, it's been a lot of fun with working with you so far. And, you know, one of the things you and I have been working on, um, has been some digital work instructions. Um, do you, can, can you tell everybody a little bit about that? Like, what does that mean? Where, where is tech today? Um, and where are you wanting to get to with that? Yeah. Uh, for sure. And this is, um, it was funny in a bit of prep for, for this podcast, I was thinking, well, where do we even start? Cause there's just so many different ways. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's... You prep for this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I no. cheated a little bit there. Oh, Steve's no. like, Oh, it'll just be a chat. Yeah. Like, yeah right. Uh, I just, I just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, to do that, I kind of thought about, about myself where I came uh, from a part of my career where I used to get very caught up in the shiny things. I love the new technology. I love, you know, when you look yeah. at AR and all the headsets and everything but you know I got a lot of perspective when working on the operation about what what is reality really grounded myself as to where the value for tech in the operation lies so when you look at you know where all those opportunities are a lot of us in maintenance feel we need that fundamental piece which is you know establishing a non-paper-based system we still do paper-based instructions you know for most part and getting to that digital point just on its own gets you a lot of access to information you didn't have before. So, uh, you know, we can establish our instructions at the task level where right now we do a lot of that conversation at the job. So then you can, you know, provide that information there. You can measure efficiencies per task. You can talk about, Hey, mechanic A versus mechanic B, do you need more training? Do you need more coaching so that you can, you know, get at that same benchmark and level. And some of those basics we just seen as, you know, we have to do that, we have to go there before we can even enable some of these other functions on our shop floors. Um, so that's how it kind of started after we did a lot of workshops and, and idea generating sessions, we've seen it as a big one. So for me, when I think digital instructions, a big part of it is that journey where when I uh, was first challenged with, we want to do digital instructions, show us how we're going to do it. It's like, all right, where's the whiteboard? I need to go walk myself in a room for a bit, get my own ideas. And then as anybody knows, I really need to understand that from everybody else in our organization. So, you know, tech there, luckily enough, I've been with the, the company for so long, I've, I've got a pretty good network of folks that uh, I really lean on. And, um, you know, some experts that have been in industry way longer than I have. So it became that take what I see as my roadmap for what we can do with digital instructions, leveraging my own experience and really evolve that into something, you know, driven by all of our SMEs and especially the front line. I have a lot of buddies that, um, you know, on the weekends we're hanging out with our kids and uh, no matter what shop talk starts and, um, you right. know, talking to those, those guys, mechanics, electricians on, on what they want to see is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I love that uh, ground up approach. Um, I think, you know, I, I know for me, there's, there's a lot of value there and that's always seems to be where I start looking as well, which, which is great. Um, uh, so Cody, now things that have 
you know, I'm curious, because uh, you've been in this role for a little while now, um, what has, what hasn't worked? Like, have you tried to deploy something and did it maybe not, not go super great? Or, you know, what are some lessons that you've, you've learned along the way trying to roll out some of these types of projects? Yeah, I laugh because I'm glad people can't see my face because I'm just smirking the whole time when you're saying that. Um, oh, we're posting this to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, you know, I think any of us that are intrigued by technology, especially as we develop, there's always the side of the desk opportunities that we, you know, we're working on and uh, really get excited about. So for me, I've had a few of those throughout my career for sure, where I thought I knew where the value was or what we should go after. So, you know, got the okay for my supervisor to chase it. We have tried, you know, you know, it's not that tech has never gone to the digital inspections. We've done that in some aspects of our work for sure, digital instruction, sorry. And a part of that for me was pre-PM uh, inspections. We wanted to get to, you know, that point where we could really um, make those inspections rapid and gain as much information as we could for them. So we worked with a mechanic, myself and, and another representative from tech um, to really do that. We tested out some uh, Google Glasses. We got it in the hands of the technician. We did it all and um, very quickly realized that what we thought um, would be a technology that has just been established. Google, Google Glasses have been around for a while. And right. um, the, the barrier to success was that usability. I thought they would be, you know, a little bit more, don't get me wrong, not, not shooting down what Google has done there. But uh, when you think of how intuitive something has to be for your customer, when we think in mining and where we are, we have a wide spectrum of individuals, some that, you know, still don't use a computer as their day-to-day uh, tool or device. So when you think of Google Glasses, it's just very foreign to them. And that was, you know, more of a barrier than I expected. Uh, one way I, I've heard of it recently that I like explained is that until some of these dev devices can be as intuitive as a smartphone, some of them are going to struggle uh, pending the use case and where you want to use them in industry. So, you know, that was something as I, I played with hands-free uh, and convinced my supervisor to get a set of them. And he always bugs me about it that I didn't make it happen, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's yeah. one for sure. And then otherwise we, we've tried some other things, you know, I've always thought that access to information is always important. So let, let's try, you know, maybe seeing how we could track people in regards to when they, you know, enter certain areas of the shop or perform certain functions to get that true wrench time measure to really help that. And, you know, I had a big self-reflection as I started to put that together. We put together a proposal and some feedback again from, from where I was lucky enough to have the right mentors where think about the, the individual, the personal aspect mm -hmm. here. Sure, you can track them, you'll get some numbers, but how would you feel if I said, I don't trust what you're telling me, so I'm going to track you to figure that out. Exactly. Not a good yeah, from a culture change point of view, that's really that's really tough. And I go back to my days when I when I say I used to work for a living, um, when I actually used to turn wrenches and screwdrivers. And it, it's the same thing as, you know, when you go and enter the your work order in the system of how long it took you, right? It was always a round number. Eh, it was eight hours, right? Because <laughs> I don't want you, I don't want you tracking the other end. I'm not being productive. That I did not put a full eight hour day in, right? And that's yeah. exactly it. What's that human inter? interaction that's going to have and and sorry steve we just crossed over from over the line now to a tech podcast for the next two and a half <laughs> hours because that's 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 brilliant and i think you know um there, there's three takeaways i took from those lessons that you just shared and the first one i wanted to touch on was the network and collaboration you mentioned numerous times of your mentors and the fact that you know you've been able to get the insights from the users right and mm -hmm. I, I i can only imagine because i've seen it on my side but you as an end user, how many times that you've seen tech implemented without getting the involvement of those people that are going to use it? This, like, and, and we see it all the way up to the top to an ERP system. You mentioned Dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, this is the new Dynamics system. This is what we're going to use. 
What, did I have any input into influencing? Not, not the choice, like I understand choices are gonna be made, but at least influence how I'm going to use it, right? Um, and, and the second point was the user experience. And I don't think that one often gets heard enough, right? Is, is how the user's gonna use it until something is as simple as a cell phone. And I think, and I'd love to get your point on this, Cody, is you know, more and more, and you know, we venture into the space of artificial intelligence and, and it, like AI, um, augmented reality, all these, all these new cool technologies really can be implemented anywhere in the maintenance work, work plan, right? Anywhere, really. But what I'm seeing, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is you know, it, everyone's trying to, or not, I shouldn't say this, everyone's trying to, but you know, everyone's, the, the companies are trying that make these are trying to solve a lot of problems versus doing a really good job at solving a problem. Right. And I think that's why you guys are focusing on work instruction because that's a single problem. You can use AI, you can use AR, right. But finding those tools that solve that problem first and then trying to expand to, to other problems. So do you, do you see that where like, you know, the, the, the vendors coming in, the solution providers, these tech providers are saying, yeah, but it does, but wait, there's more. It does this, it does this, right. You're like, well, I really just want to solve this problem first. Yeah, without a doubt. And I'll even leverage a, a recent experience where I attended a digital conference, which was very interesting on its own. <laughs> uh, you know, they, it, was, it was a cool platform. It accomplished a number of things, but other things, you know, it's just incredibly difficult when you can't talk to people face to face what you can do there. But in any case, I found when I went to that conference um, where it was very focused on wearables and, you know, what's in industry mm -hmm. today, it was all, you know, way further in the journey than where we currently are where people were trying to you know explicitly find uses for ar and how we could use this in different ways whereas you worded it very well where we need to step take a step back and understand what are we actually trying to accomplish here and you know what could a device provide in regards to value and what i'd recommend to a lot of folks where we had to get through is anytime you're looking at a technology you should take a step back and understand well how would i do it without that technology and is is that jump oh, you know, or is that value yeah. really there right and um we're, we're applying that kind of logic to a lot of what we're doing today um and so when i think about uh you know where how we're doing it or we're going to try to do this effectively is as I mentioned before, you're going to get some, you know, out of the box value with a lot of uh, when you go jump to those, those digital inspections, it's access to information, you know, there's simplicity where if I make an effective job plan, I can more quickly share it across the industry across different operations. And that's great. But again, if you're going to implement digital instructions, just to implement it, you're going to fall, you're going to fall short pretty quickly. So for us, it was like, okay, what can we get specific on to really measure the value out of this? So we understand, hey, this is scalable. We can take this and this can be a fundamental piece or we got the requirements wrong. We learned a ton out of this from our, from our technicians and we're going to go back to the marketplace and find it. So for us, as an example, we're taking a look at high voltage cabinets. It's recognized as an area where if we could empower our workforce more so, we could do that better. We could, you know, it's traditionally somewhere we send some of our green mechanics to because of our, our top technic technicians are on the shovels a lot of the time with their equipment. So with a very, you know, small user base, we can effectively understand that much more so and then look at, okay, what other failure modes could we do and what else can we do with this tool? So you're going from the need and developing the product, not putting the product in and finding needs it could potentially solve, right? So, so like, uh, you know, uh, the value, I think, you know, at least for me, in both tech and other places I've worked, it's been, that's always been the hardest thing to communicate. And, you know, digital work instructions, I always find interesting because we all inherently understand that there's a lot of value there, but to actually quantify it 
is a very difficult thing. And then when you, when you start looking at it, that number doesn't seem to get very big. Um, I'm curious how you were able to get buy-in from, you know, the, the top down. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about bottom up earlier, but, you know, looking at the top down, getting that management buy-in for a project like this, how, how are you able to communicate that value? Yeah, it's it's funny, especially a company of our size. You have varying, uh, you know, um, opinions about why digital instructions. I, we have some operations where all the way up at the GM level, they're hungry for it and they want it. They're they're not too worried about the justification because they they truly feel the values there, so they just want to get after it, which is good. But again. Uh, my job is to ensure that it's successful in whatever use case we're going to design it for so that I can design an effective roadmap for how we're going to do it elsewhere. So for us, I will say it was a, a struggle initially to find out, okay, how can we find that that right use case to start with? Because there's so many when you talk about parts reduction, contractor reduction, all these different levers that we could pull on to really drive the value of additional instructions and not just for that one individual that's backing it, but for all those potential naysayers that you know aren't too big on using technology to get us to that next step. So I think for us, it was uh, leveraging expertise again from that network, starting with the SMEs to get a community together to agree upon, you know, what are some of the key things that we really need to focus on to get this out of the gates? And then from there, it was just taking a look at all of those use cases and all those opportunities, as you know, Steve, we, we've gone after a number of times and eventually just land on one. Uh, I, I think, you know, we could have gone further, but something you'll learn quick, especially when you're developing these types of solutions is don't go for perfection. You're not going to find it. Ah. It's very difficult. So, you know, find one you feel somewhat confident about and ensure that how you're going to measure that success you've dialed in and that the folks that are involved such as you know those individuals that are uh, held accountable held accountable to, to that value such as your opex teams on site agree with it and how you're going to do it and from that point it just becomes you know you have enough people involved that you feel pretty confident that the next steps are are pretty good and that you'll be able to get there yeah that's fantastic. so I, I, i'm curious <laughs> when it when it comes to um all these things you're working on and some of the advice I have been given from customers that have successfully been in this space you're in is um, if you understand this comment is think like a, a VC, think like a venture capitalist. So don't put all your eggs into one basket. So most people, most companies have multiple projects understanding they're all not going to be home runs. You try to, you know, land in the ballpark on all of them, but some of them, you know, you're going to flub, right? Do you have that kind of mentality? Are you like in, invested in multiple, um, you know, you have obviously work instructions, but even within the work instructions or outside of it, do you have multiple projects going on that some just might fall off the rails? Yeah, definitely. And, and I'll answer that a couple of ways. One thing that was interesting when this program started up, I think we, we've done a lot to and still have a lot of work to do to communicate how we're going to you know transform how we do work. So simply when I heard a raise 21 right away, my mind was excited about the exploration to try things to really understand what it is that'll drive value. And we want to do that, but it can't just be for nothing. If we don't feel we're effectively going to learn from that failure, then we're going to push back because it's not something we, we want to spend the effort on. We got to place our bets because, you know, there's only a limited amount of resources to go after a lot of this. Effective change management takes a lot of people uh, to do right to understand it. So once we understood that and, and what the requirements were to get there, um, we've kind of stood up, uh, which we call, you know, our initiative briefs and, and process so that, you know, right out of the gates, as long as it hits that 
bit of a gut check and the people involved feel confident and there is some you know high level data to support that value and what we're going after we can go to that next phase of a very you know a deep dive to really get into it where we will engage you know very deep levels of understanding we'll do the user personas the journey maps we're going to do everything that it takes to you know involve the right people and then after that assessment it might fail right there where we might just decide after talking to everybody that you know we missed the mark here and we need to be ready for that so that's kind of the process and how we're going to try, we're effectively working to manage that. And as much as, you know, this program has been in place for a little while, I would say the maintenance team, we just, you know, got to the point where we're looking for uh, in regards to resources to really kick this off. So some things are still new for us, but to answer the other question on what we're doing with digital inspections elsewhere is we're trying other tools. It's not just one. We're looking mm -hmm. at, um, I think at this point, two to three for sure, and piloting at different operations. So for example, even the tool that I'm looking for at one of our operations, I'm going to use that same tool for a different use case because we want to understand from a different environment and opportunity how else we're going to see success. So uh, again, we need to be very careful as there's a limited amount of resources uh, so we can apply effort, but we right. definitely need to, to be uh, you know, ready to try it in different ways. Or I think we're just, again, we're going to fall short in understanding what we can do with it. That's great. I, I, what I'm picturing is, is, is anybody that's been in the startup world will get, will get this reference or even not if you followed kind of that community is, is this idea of an incubator right? It's, it's a separate, it's a, it's a culture rich environment, which is there to, to foster ideas, turn them to actual products, get them out there to scalability, right? You know, you think of Y Combinator down in Silicon Valley and in our neck of the woods here, um, we got the Mars and we got Communitech and things like that. And, and I've spent a lot of time at these and, it, and it's great. And I, you know, what you've just told me, and I'm picturing you're, you're in this office full of slides and ball pits, kind of like a Google environment, even though it's probably nothing close to that <laughs> in the mining industry. But that's naturally what I'm picturing because literally I spent three years in this environment and, and what you just went through is everything that took me three years to learn. But, you know, we were a company that started with two people and then we had to build ourselves up. So I think that's incredible that you guys have that maturity to, to start thinking like that. And, and I will say, like, you know, as I mentioned, we're, we're still figuring it out where I think you need to get tactical a little bit with how you're going to do that sometimes. We not, might not have a full-blown program set up for R&D type functions where, for example, in one of these pilots that we're going to try, I'm going to digitize the same inspections on my HoloLens 2. It's not its own, you know, pilot or anything. And I'm going to give it to some of the mechanics and say, hey, Take this tablet and do it. Try the HoloLens. Give me your opinion. And that's not for right. value of this pilot, but that's what's incubating. That's to better understand for a future opportunity. So you can really leverage pilots in different ways. They don't have to be, you know, ensure that you're, you're pointing at the value and be careful of scope creep. But on the side, you can do some interesting things too, whereas this use case is more so on high voltage cabinets for the one we're talking about. But sure, let's test out a PM. Let's just kind of see what it looks like and get some, you know, feedback with little effort, just so it helps us with de designing that next opportunity we're going after. Yeah, that's awesome, Cody. Now, if I, if I understand correctly, so you've gotten buy-in from the top, you've gotten some buy-in from the bottom, um, you've selected a software or a couple softwares to trial, um, and you're, you're in the midst of deploying. Now, how do you see, what do you see the deployment looking like? What does success look like? And then after that, how do you, what do you think sustainment looks like? Because obviously you can't be sitting there with your foot on the gas the whole time. Um, you, you're going to want to move on to other projects. So how does that look to keep it going without your oversight? 
Yeah, this is where the prep comes in, where I literally have my rollout plan in front of me right now. And I'm going to talk through a couple points there. Um, so when we think about effectively rolling this out initially, you know, I hit it a couple of times, but I'm going to say it again, because it's very important, you know, engage the workforce on the front line, you know, take those agile principles where customers king and making sure that they have that, that, that feedback so that as you design and iterate on this, that you're designing something for them. And even when you take, you know, a third party tool off the shelf. So, you know, you would think initially you're not going to need a lot of development. Um, you are going to have to still consider where possible that agile process where, you know, you're regularly taking that feedback. It's not a one-off activity where you sit in a room. Well, not in this case, you sit on a zoom call and you chat to folks and, and get that feedback. It's doing that over and over and over. So whether it's two weeks, sprint cycles, whatever you're doing, those feedback mechanisms are incredibly important throughout. So whether it's yourself or just the team and the boots on the ground, making sure people understand that. And I would say, you know, as a company, we're still trying to find the right ways to do that. A lot of our technicians on the floor, we measure our success on wrench time. So they're on the equipment. So where we want to pull them away to get feedback, that's somewhat seen as a negative. So you got to balance that a little bit, right? So once you have that established, as I said, find the right way and use the right tools to understand where it is you are and where you want to go and be ready to make updates to that always. So I use the terms like or tools like user journey maps and things like that, which is still, I would say, a newer process for me. I've leveraged it in the past a little bit, but now as we have dedicated UX specialists to help us out, it's something we're going to do a lot more of um, and find the right ways to do that where, you know, again, it's not a one-off and go do that journey map take a look at what you're trying to accomplish. So now you have a current and future kind of gap assessment there and then share it, put it on the floor, let the guy see it as to how you're going to do it to again, create that buzz, which just naturally supports that adoption. Right. And, and then when you get into adoption, think of how you're going to do it. Feedback is an important piece, but effective measures are also equally important. So have, under, have an understanding of what KPIs do you need to develop and turn them on right away. We're very bad about starting those KPIs <laughs> when we're near the end and we don't have a benchmark to go against, right? So simple things like just general usage. Most tools nowadays have um, some basic analytics you can run to understand not only how many people are using it, but who is using it. Because if you don't have the right adoption, you know, you're going to potentially miss out on the why uh, a solution failed, right? Um, so, you know, getting those KPIs in place, understanding your MVP, your minimum viable product, uh, you know, right away so that you know what you're developing. And again, trying to manage scope creep there where don't go for perfection, be ready to make changes as you go. And, um, you know, when it comes to sustainment, which is also funny for us talking about sustainment when you're evaluating right off the get-go, because again, we wait too long to do those kind of activities where understand your counter physicals right off the bat so that by the time you get to the end, again, you've measured that throughout and seen how those have changed um, throughout your process. Um, yeah, rifled off a lot of different things there, but that's where my mind starts. And then when you leave the, the program, who are you assigning to those KPIs? Who's held accountable to them when you step out and this massive team potentially that, that launched true. the pilot can help. And it's not like people feel that, oh my God, this is another thing I have to do on the side of my desk that I can't be effective for. So those KPI tools on their own might be a product you develop alongside the actual product you're rolling out. So you need to be ready for that. So I, I just have a slurry of questions, both I think beneficial <laughs> to the, to the listeners and just some personal questions. There's yeah. And I, I was taking notes in there. So the, the one thing I did know, I, and, and I don't want to go down a wormhole here is, you know, you've been focusing a lot on that user journey, which I don't think most people do. And you made a comment 
you have UX specialists. So if anyone listening in the maintenance community, you, you spelled out what an MVP is, right? But us in the test space, we know a minimal viable product. So that's what that is to make sure you have a product out there that can provide that value at the minimum cost, the minimum time and all that kind of stuff. But a UX, so user experience, that's what UX stands for. You have UX experience or specialists within your company that is looking at the experience a user has with this type of technology. That's right. And that's a new that's, role for us because of the yeah. race 21 program. We just started hiring these people on. It, fantastic. I, I've never heard of that in our, in, in our industry of people hiring UX. Are you sure you're not an incubator? Are, are, are you sitting on a big bean bag right now? You know, it'd be nice if I had a nap pod beside me, you know, that's to take right. a little break here, but uh, not, not, not yet anyway. Right. Not to, and, not to take a super long segue. Um, but race 21, um, I know what that is being that I work for tech, but we've said it a couple times now. Could you give us a quick overview of what race 21 is? You're going to make me say the acronym, aren't you? Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so, you know, race 21 is ultimately tech school through innovation and digital transformation to change how we do work today. You know, um, I'll go through that acronym, what it means first off, which is uh, renew, uh, which is basically to take our capabilities and bring them up to a certain benchmark where there's some things potentially we've fallen behind or things that we need to fundamentally establish before we can start getting after some of this work, right? Uh, we're gonna automate uh, you know, some of that self-explanatory, but some of the functions we do today in order to get to that next level, we have to automate those so that we can move on and progress. You know, Some of it's administrative burden, but in other cases, it's just to take certain functions we perform and alleviate people and you know, uh, provide or make some of those resources more available. Um, connect. Uh, so ultimately, again, you might think of Internet of Things right away. You know, how do we take all this data, data lakes, things like that, that we can start to establish. Anybody that's, you know, uh, spent some time in a, in, a, in a company that's developed, and I shouldn't even say developed, the Excel sheets are, you know, great, but a massive burden for anybody that has to sustain them. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, you know, co-ops uh, develop a lot of <laughs> what we've done in the past, and I'm not afraid to say it. Because, uh, you know, the co-ops are a great resource and we, yep. we leverage them the right way. But, you know, do they always follow standards when it comes to coding? No, they don't. And neither no. do I <laughs> for that matter. So you got to be careful there. So, you know, connecting your environment so, you know, you can leverage the right data cubes, databases that anybody can access and drive insights out of. And then lastly, and one that's most important to me is the empower piece, taking all of that and actually you know, giving it back to the front line so that those individuals are empowered by everything that you've set up prior to that to really do their job at just that that, that game changing next level. Um, so that's what all of that means in the 21 is by 2021, we actually want to have a, a billion dollar impact to our EBITDA uh, to, uh, you know, really show that these types of changes and everything we're putting in place, um, we can do, you know, uh, amazing things with. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure you're a real person, Cody. So, uh, no, this, this is all a big test. I'm an AI. Yeah, <laughs> I just was thinking. So you just you, you've mentioned failure mode. You've mentioned MVP. And then you just you just did EBITDA. Like <laughs> I'm not going to get into that um, on the financial, the business side of things. But that's yeah. that's fantastic. Um, now I'm curious. So 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 and just so you know, 2021 is like a couple <laughs> months away. Right. Yeah. End of end of 2020. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I just wanted to make sure that you you knew yeah, that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and so one of the questions I had is, um, you know, you, you talked about the adoption sustainability, but and you really focus a lot on those metrics, those, those effective KPIs that you're tracking to get that return on investment of that. Um, how often do you use non, um, uh, 
financial KPIs versus like, what is, do you have anything that's like, this makes the lives, the safe, obviously you can track that back to financial, but do, do you use KPIs other than, cause everyone, you know, you've written there, you know, a billion dollars worth of savings in terms of the 2021, but do you have other KPIs that can, or might be more hard to link to a financial impact? Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, we also, uh, as with tech, you know, safety is, you know, of the utmost importance to our company. So as you can imagine, you know, putting that to financials actually isn't something we're worried about. We have initiatives we're standing up to support and drive a safe work culture at tech that we're measuring, you know, from the, the usual HPIs, uh, you know, high potential incidents uh, or others and a reduction of. So that's one example of saying safety and maybe an easier one, but even when it comes to maintenance specifically, you know, with this initiative for digital instructions, we have the financials and then we have somewhat of those intangibles where, as I mentioned before, if you're going to do it effectively, you need that user experience nailed down and you need KPIs that, you know, truly help you to, to understand that for some of our initiatives, because the data is sometimes tricky when it comes to that, right? We did manual surveys. We just went out there and we're asking people questions regularly, recording that feedback. And then, you know, just putting that into a, an Excel sheet, obviously grabbing that and making a visual of it where, you know, not always everything's gonna have that direct path to value. And I will say in my job in particular, we've struggled with that a little bit where what is the indirect path to value that we all feel confident is doing the right thing. So for example, Asset physical availabilities is, is what maintenance is, is a big part of what we do. But if you're talking about uh, a user experience, let's say our running repair technicians that are in the pit, we want to make their job better because we know that they have a significant impact on reducing break-in work, right? Or doing it quickly, first-time mm -hmm. fix rates, things like that. So if I give them the capability to troubleshoot facts faster, to have information at their fingertips, even just to give them a top-end laptop to do their job effectively. Can I drive that rate to PAs? Not directly, no. I know it has an impact and I can see some of the metrics that affect a physical availability, uh, you know, having a change, but I can't say it's the only thing that impacts it if I see an increase or decrease in that PA. So as a company and as a group, we've had to get more comfortable with those kind of indirect, indirect uh, path to values. And um, I will say it's, it's a difficult journey that we're still trying to find the right way to do it. But ultimately you do have to lean on the instincts and you know the confidence of those around you, those that have been in your company for a long time to understand, yes, this is having the right impact and we do feel comfortable progressing uh, on with this. And even at a later date, especially when it comes to sustainability, once it's rolled out, maybe that data we didn't know is there now and we can effectively measure that afterwards, right? Um, like I said, it's a tricky one and I think we're still figuring out how to do it, but it's getting better as we, we start to talk about it more and do it more. Yeah, that's great, Cody. Um, yeah, so now I'm curious. Um, you're, you're obviously part of the way down this path. I've been down the digital work instruction path before at other companies didn't get too far down what advice if we if you had a reliability engineer or a maintenance engineer or really anybody um, sitting at a site right now and they're they've been get said digitize our work instructions um, what advice would you give them where do they start yeah, um, definitely so you know we hit it before Blair and you, you were asking about it a bit is get very understand where your initial value is. Don't look end game because the journey is a big part of how you're going to really develop something special. And what I mean by that is, you know, 
to go from paper-based instructions to hands-free AR devices is probably not realistic. <laughs> you know, you can do all the change management in the world, but those users that experience and even the architecture in your company from an IT perspective might not be ready for it. So you need to, you know, break that down a little bit and understand what's of most important. So when you're defining your requirements, and I think this is where some people have a miss, even myself, take the time to develop some form of a, an understanding or matrix of here's all the requirements for a digital platform. And we're going to get crazy. Here's 50 of them. This is everything that we could ever want. But of those, what hold value to that first pilot you want to do or whichever pilot you're going to do? Take the time with your SMEs to really value out each of those requirements so that when you go to market, you feel confident in what you're going to see and what you're going after. Because I can tell you from my own experience, in the last month or two, I've gone through 12 to 15 different connected worker platforms. And uh, after a while, other than feeling a little numb, is you start to recognize, you know, a lot of the functions are similar. They have a baseline that a lot of them are able to perform. And there's the odd one that just provides something at that next level. So you need to know going into that, is that next, that extra thing what you're looking for, right? What, what are the basic requirements you need to hit that MVP so that when you do see something special that maybe you didn't even think about as a requirement, you can recognize it because, you know, it's going to be very difficult and just you're going to feel uh, over encumbered with the amount of opportunities that are out there. Technology is not going to be what stops you when you're going to produce you know, or develop a lot of these solutions. It's going to be your own understanding and confidence level into what you're doing. So my initial advice would be understand those requirements and really nail them down. Be ready to adjust them because when you explore the market, it's going to, you know, you're going to connect some dots you didn't even know were there and right. bring that back to the team again. So that would be the, one of the biggest things I think for myself as, a, as I've been walking through this is, you know, nail that down so that when you get to those final demos where you're really bringing all the users in, that you're not wasting their time and that everybody knows what you're going after. I think Cody, and, and what was great, well, there's a lot of, there's just, so many tidbits out of this, um, but you just said there is, you know, develop your own requirements, go to the market, see what's there and go back and change your requirements. And I'll go back to, I think it was Henry Ford that said um, before he built the model T saying, if I, if I asked customers what they wanted, they would want faster horses, right. Versus the actual car. Right. Cause it didn't exist. Like it, they didn't know what was there. So, you know, it, often, and, and now me, me, me being on the vendor side, I get this right. Uh, you know, you're trying to, snake oil and trying to tell me what I want. Right. But it, the reality is we're also trying to fill those gaps to tell you what is possible now, because this is our focus. We understand this for its application and design it for this. So have you considered looking at doing this as well? And I think that's an important part to feedback that loop is just don't go in blind with just your requirements, be open to new requirements that could also benefit that. And the other question, you've mentioned it um, quite a few times and I've, I've done this, on the other side of the fence, when we're developing technology, we're trying to bring it to market. We, 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 we develop what's called this user journey, right? And you've mentioned it a few times. And I think a lot of us that come from the maintenance reliability field don't know what you're talking about when you say develop this user journey. Um, we don't have to go down a, a wormhole or spend too much by that, but just when you develop these user journeys and maybe use the work instruction one without going into too much detail here, but what, what would that, user journey look like uh, as you start to map it out from a 30,000 foot level? 
Yeah, for sure. So initially to get to that point, you're going to want to do, you start with some interviews. You understand, you know, who's involved, how they perform work today, for example, um, so you can build up what you're doing in the future. So what you're, you know, and these will be, if you, a lot of folks are going to Google that right away and see what it looks like and maybe challenge what I'm about to say, but they can be yep. very different, you know, they can. as yep. to what's, it, what's an industry. So for us so far, it's been ultimately taking a look first off as that individual, once you've done an interview to understand how they've done that work is breaking down those functions. So, um, for us as well, be very careful that, you know, if you're going to do a user journey map on a day in the life of type exercise, that's a lot of information to consume and understand. There's a lot of contact points with other individuals and information. So maybe get a little more narrow on how you're going to do that. Pick a function such as a, you know, even a PM can be a little broad, but maybe a certain type of check or inspection that you want to start with. So once you get there, you're going to break down, you know, what are those steps throughout that process? You're going to look at the tools that they use throughout those steps. The emotional experience, which is, you know, I'm going to come back to that because it's very important. And then even some quotes from the individuals, you know, as you have these interviews, layer that right in there. As I said, you want to be able to share these afterwards. And what's incredibly impactful for individuals is when I see a journey map and I see my buddy Jim did this and I can see his quotes. It resonates with me more. I feel more connected by that and hopefully want to provide some additional feedback to support something like that, right? So um, coming back to that emotional experience, people might be, well, well, how the heck do you measure someone's emotions? But uh, what it comes back from is asking those questions. You know, when you ask someone what they like or dislike, that kind of helps with what that looks like. So for example, when I go to create a work order in my system, if I have to use four different tools and it takes me five minutes per work order, it's not very enjoyable. It takes a long time to do that. And uh, ultimately you could see that as a negative experience um, or emotional, uh, negative emotional experience. So by the time you're done, if you can build a solution where someone is naturally motivated to perform a function, you're going to be way more successful than forcing them to perform a function because it's part of their job. And don't get me wrong, you're not always going to be able to do that. So be ready that, you know, you're going to get hung up sometimes where you just naturally <laughs> have to go up on the floor and be like, sorry, I need to ask you to do this, you know, and that's fair. People understand we have a job to do, but to the best of your ability, really, really improve um, someone's motivation and understand their motivators to design tools around them. So, um, you know, how you do that, as I mentioned, through interviews, the UX specialist, you know, takes those that feedback creates that visual and a user journey map is um, when I say that there's different types of visuals as well where one could be that individual's experience another might be of all the people involved at each step where do you interact with someone because that's a potential you know triage or, or when you require someone's input to perform a function that's a different way to look about it or purely on the tools if I see a connector where I have five different tools or four different tools for one step I should consider automation. I could, should consider why am I making this person use all these tools to do one thing? So it just drives so many insights that um, you'll potentially miss on just from doing a general IGS session in a room with a bunch of people. That's, that's fantastic. So Steve, this is yours, but I, 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 have, <laughs> I have two more questions I want to ask. Um, and I'll say my last one towards the end here. So can I have one more, Steve? You, you got one more. No okay, problem. Okay. Okay. So um, Somewhere <laughs> in here, you talked, and I, and I want to get back to this point is, you know, don't, um, over there, don't look for perfection, right? And the, the best advice from the startup world I ever got was do not let perfect get in the way of done, right? So don't let perfect, because too often we can go and say, well, it's not a perfect solution. So how do you balance between you know, having that MVP be successful, start to get into the adoption, into the sustainment, 
but you know there's still it's still not a perfect solution. So all those resort, all those check boxes you put at that design phase haven't been met, but you still have a solution that is going to provide benefit. What do you do in that situation? Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot of reflection at that point as to as I mentioned, even when I talk about iteration and you know coming from working in IT to that that Scrum and Agile type mentality and now trying to apply that in our industry is be ready to change. You know, you might've had a vision, even as you're implementing, you had that end goal and what you thought was your MVP and how you're gonna do that, but always be ready to adapt so that when you look back on, oh man, I, I didn't accomplish this, 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 or the tool isn't doing these parts, but you know, from your feedback from the people using it, and even looking at your KPIs in some cases, you've hit the mark, don't be afraid to say, okay, whoa, maybe this is a phase two opportunity where, you know, as you start to bucket some of what you would consider scope creep or actually ends up in there, as that always happens, you know, be ready for how you're, what you're going to do next. And maybe when I talk about that product roadmap, you know, be ready to just put that in the next phase. Um, as you mentioned, Blair, and you hit it for sure. If you get caught up on just trying to do everything you set out to without being ready to evolve and change, you're definitely going to stumble and you're going to be spending way too much effort for maybe those one or two last things that you think, you know, are going to make you successful. So use the people around you if, if some of our, our product owners listen to this or work with they're going to laugh because they're usually the ones you know driving mvp at me where we don't need that yet wait for that later right of course so, yeah you know leverage the folks around you without a doubt and always self-reflect always take the time for those retrospectives look back at what you're doing and just always gut check you know where we are and truly you know where we wanted to go is it where we are now and we're comfortable with that yeah and i think you know the, the what i didn't realize going into this cody was this, the similarities we have of you as an end user, me as a technology provider, and the same methodologies and understanding that we go through. We try to map out a user journey the best we can. We interview customers, but even that, and, and even what we preach internally is be ready to pivot, right? The agility of a, of a, of a company, whether you know, an asset owner or a vendor, is really what's going to make companies survive in this times, right? Can you pivot? Can you have an idea? Be willing to say, you know what? I was trying to solve this problem, but it turns out I can do this, right? Or I need to do this pivot in order to make this MVP work. And I think that what's really caught me is just the, the similarities of how a company considers implementing technology to how we develop that technology is, is unbelievable to me. Yeah, and I want to, it's funny as I talk about this and even reflect as we're talking, as I just mentioned, it's funny, for some people listening, they're not going to be given the opportunity I think I've been given through this Race 21 program at Tech. You're not going to have these, these roles I'm talking about available to you. You're not going to have, you know, insights into how to do a proper user journey map. I have the people around me that are helping me do that. You know, I'm not a guy that we've done hundreds of these things and I know I've, we've perfected it. We know how to do it. No, we, we've just started doing, you know, I've done them in the past, but we're starting to do new ones and we're figuring that out as we go. So if you are getting into this and you're thinking, holy smokes, I'm a small outfit. I've got none of that. How do I do it? Pick something, pick something that, as we said, when you've defined the value and what you're going after that you think is going to be most important. As you heard from me, a big thing on me is that that user experience, under, ensuring that that end user is involved, maybe start there. Just build that into your process as to how you're going to develop and then work it out. You know, change management and everything is always an ever evolving and, and we're always trying to perfect it, but hit the points that are most important that that'll get you to that MVP. Excellent. Okay. One yeah. more, Steve. <laughs> one more last okay. last one we have time for okay um 
I'm just curious. So you get to look at the the market landscape of all this technology. You mentioned Google Lens. You mentioned the HoloLens from Microsoft. And I have both of those sitting beside me right now. Um, I'm just curious, out of all the categories of technology, so you have AR, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, you know, IoT as a, as a generalist, right, of, of data, um, cloud computing, uh, edge computing, um, you know, 5G technology. Is, is there one technology that you think is, you know, really going to influence maintenance from your, from your, from, from your view? I kind of knew you were going to ask this and I was yeah. trying to think of what I was going to say. <laughs> you know what? Um, I'll start with something I've seen recently that really enticed me. And then I'll, I think I'll answer that question a little bit better is um, recently I learned about Toyota's ergonomics program and some of the stuff they're doing where I hear the word exoskeleton and my mind goes to Hollywood and some of the things I've seen in movies. Of course. But some of the stuff companies are doing for safety where they talked about, you know, some really cool lumbar support exoskeletons, overhead working and everything. And then they touched on a solution where it was purely putting sensors on people's trunk movements to understand how they worked throughout a day. And what I mean by that is they were driving metrics, you know, with, with, with a person's approval on, you know, I want to measure how you're moving around the shop yeah. on um, when they made an improper lift. And this was in a warehouse type function where whenever an improper lift was made, it would capture that. So at the end of the day, you would have a safety score and your, you know, your ergonomics coach or your, your hygiene professional professional could coach you on what potentially you did wrong and make it better. And what I loved about this story is that just from seeing information, people were naturally competing. The end of the day, they were saying, I was safer than you today, check out my score. And that for me was a pretty amazing culture change where even at tech, when we're trying to drive, you know, safety's always has to be number one. Sometimes it can get difficult and sometimes you can get complacent. So, so to come back, what is the technology there? Uh, and this is gonna sound boring to those that were waiting for me to say something really exciting, is just that visibility of information. For us right now, there's so many insights that I don't think we're driving from or any patterns that we haven't seen yet because we just don't see enough. So we need to, we're, we're gonna find easier ways to do that. And uh, that initially excites me. Now to get on something maybe more, more that people wanted to hear, I am a fan of, of still playing with my HoloLens too. I enjoy it. I put, put it on my six-year-old and he, and he gets to play with it. It's <laughs> interesting to see that feedback. But when I think of all the different use cases, you know, remote assist, I see it there, I see it playing a part. I'm really interested in information overlays. So for example, something that our technicians struggle with is, you know, parts procurement and management. It's a huge hindrance on, you know, just getting out there and fixing equipment where a simple use case of when I'm working on a, a haul truck, for example, that hose is blown, I need to replace that. I need to go back to a laptop. If I don't have a laptop, I'm driving down to the shop to go find that hose, you know, upstream and downstream components, soft parts that I need to effectively to replace that. I'm looking through at best a digital parts book, maybe the vendor website, maybe a paper parts book. I'm going to take those parts out of my work order and go from there. Just painful. Whereas if I could take some kind of an overlay and potentially not a headset, but even with the headset and I look at that hose and through spatial recognition, I can just grab it and put it in my cart and I'm done it's a bit of a game changer where it removes that procurement piece altogether. And that's one example where even if you were to look at taking our asset health data, again, through effective spatial recognition, it can overlay information where I can see pressures upstream and downstream to really assist troubleshooting. Again, some really cool things. From what I've seen, and I'm still poking around in the market today, 
industries are doing that. I heard some cool things mm -hmm. from Boeing on how they're doing um, wiring diagrams and being able to help yep. with that. Um, but it's still something that uh, I haven't seen exactly what I'm looking for, probably because I'm picky, but when it gets there. Uh, uh, yeah, and, that, and I think when you look at that, look at the technology of the ones that I've thrown out there to pick from. And you had the right answer because you pick something that requires every single one I listed. It, it's augmented reality. It's AI from the image recognition, right? It's IOT from the data. Um, it, it's, you know, obviously a data lake or data warehouse, whatever you want to call it from the, the turning data into information. Right. And I yeah. think what you effectively did is just everything you just taught us is you just put it into action. You came up with the use case, not a, not a technology, piece but a, a solution yeah. you're trying to solve right and technology will enable that so that yeah was and that just comes back to as as you know uh steve made me recite the acronym there but uh, when it comes <laughs> to em empower uh that's what it is for me how do we bring it all together how do you make it so that your frontline individual really has everything they need to be as effective as possible and that's where you're really going to find something special great oh that's great cody yeah i really appreciate your insights into into all of this and you know I know we, we came here to talk about getting things over the line in terms of it but I, I really enjoyed how the conversation oh, no. <laughs> I, 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 oh. <laughs> all right I'll be better next time Steve I promise oh no we are all good uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty happy with the conversation we had I, I think it was fascinating and I learned learned a ton now Cody any plugs anything you want to put attention to anything like that uh, you know what, not in particular, just, you know, even uh, for their own company and, and what tech's doing, I think um, something to recognize, especially from those from, from our company that will listen to this, uh, you know, always, we're always working to communicate what it is we're doing and improve transparency. When you have these specialized functions, such as what Race 21 is, just recognizing that we're still finding the right way to do that, where it feels like the folks that are involved know about what's going on, but the broader community, we're still working to improve that. So I don't want, you know, try to pretend on this podcast that everything's, you know, great and wonderful and we're all doing it, you know, to the best of our capability. We are figuring it out. So, you know, a lot of folks are, are having to be patient with how we're, how we're doing that. We, we sometimes don't know what we're doing and we're working on it together to, to develop what might be an effective playbook and program. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I would just say, you know, looking for that continued patience where I do see that end game and, and I personally get incredibly excited, especially as of late as to the things we're going to be able to do and really change our business. Um, you know, uh, I will say is that conference I went to uh, last week, EWTS uh, Everywhere was a really good one. As much as I, I said the platform was tricky and it was, uh, that's fine. But the way that they were able to uh, organize group discussions, group chats was really cool. And then uh, I seen a lot of value of the discussion forums where it's a unique opportunity where you get all these people together, vendors and customers, where I can actually ask a question such as, and I did on the discussion forum, I'm going from paper to something. How do you do that the right way? I hear everybody talking about AR headsets, but how did somebody else do that? And I had a whole bunch of people talking about their experience. So it was very cool. And, uh, you know, lastly for me, I think um, as I explored the market and, and don't get me wrong, you got to go out there and find the solution that works for you. Well, that's great, Cody. And now if somebody was to want to reach out to you and, and uh, ask you a few questions, you know, are you open to that? And how would they get in contact with you? 
Yeah, for sure. I'm always looking forward to collaborate. Like I said, I probably make it sound like I know what I'm doing, but I'm still figuring it out. So if, if anybody wants to chat on their own experience or their field early on, or, or even if you caught something I said, where, hey, I went through this and you kind of have a, a recommendation, you can reach out to me, you know, just through my company email at cody.denell at tech.com. That's D-I-N-E-L. Reach out to me on LinkedIn as well, if you'd like. And uh, I'm always looking forward to, you know, expanding that network. Absolutely. And I'll be sure to put those in the podcast description. And again, if anybody wants to get a hold of Blair or myself, you can always email our podcast. And, uh, and yeah, so thanks everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. Thanks Cody for coming on and thanks yeah, Blair thank for you, uh, joining for me as well. For shooting yeah, my mouth guys. off and asking too many questions. Is that what you mean? <laughs> oh yeah. No <laughs> it's a great time. Yeah. Thanks Cody. Really appreciate it.